All right. I'm here with Thomas DeLauer, my good friend, and I'm happy to have you here, man. Dude, it's awesome to be here. Yeah. Uh, so for those who don't know, Thomas is very involved in nutrition. I'd say that that's probably your expertise, but you're also very into biochemistry. Uh, tell us just a little, like a small oversight, because I want to get into it with you a little bit here. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not, I don't have any crazy credentials behind my name. I mean, my background came from working in biomedical sales, and that's where I learned the bulk of what I know. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, that's where I learned the beginning of what I know, and then from there I took it upon myself. I had my own transformation, uh, lost a significant amount of weight. I was about 300 pounds at one point. Very long, drawn-out story. <coughs> i spare you the details on that. But So I lost a lot of weight through my own nutrition endeavors. You know, I, I learned about intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet, which was a big part of why I lost weight. And it was a big part of my brand in the early stages. But as a lot of things have evolved and as I've learned more about biochemistry and nutrition, uh, it makes up a much smaller percentage of what I talk about these days. Um, so yeah, so now uh, I consider myself sort of a translator of science. Okay. That's really what I do. I don't consider myself a particular expert, although some would consider me to be one. No, I think I think I, that you are. I mean, I think that the sorry to interrupt, but the the credentialism is is a is sometimes a trap. Yeah. I think. And if from hanging around you as much as I have like we can't be stuck in a society where okay, what is it like, what's his PhD in what, what books has he written type, type of deal? Because I, I'm a, I, my roommate, Chris is somebody who, if you were to ask anyone about the relationship dynamics and the evolution of that and the effect that it's had on society, he's like, uh, in my opinion, one of the biggest experts in the world on this because he's had, he's just studied it so much. And in your case, like you're going to sit here and say that you don't have the credentials, but it's your world. Dude, it's right. everything, it's, right? It's I've got, if I had, to, I actually did the math recently on roughly how many hours I probably have in biochemistry. Now my channel has been going for shit, almost 10 years. And I have about 30,000 hours into this stuff, you know? So it's like between what I did in my previous career with my channel, I'm like, isn't it tech, like the, the whole quote or something like 10,000 hours and something and you're mm -hmm. an expert. So I guess I can call myself an expert, but I just, I have a little bit of a self-deprecating personality anyway. Right. So I tend to like downplay and as much as I can. And it's, the reality is, is that I like being a translator of the science because what I'm good at is communicating. And I learned that fairly early on in life. You know, that's why, you know, people will uh, take this and run with it, but it's why I was a good salesperson. I, I really was because I, I was really good at understanding and empathizing and communicating. And it's why I'm able to take complex biochemistry and articulate it in a way that gets people freaking amped up to where they want to take action on stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's everything, you know, in this world, um, of fitness, nutrition, et cetera, is kind of this psychological game that you have to play with your audience to get them interested, to get them involved. And something that I found is like, as long as you're interested and passionate, people are going to be attracted yeah, to it. Shine through. And, it. and I can definitely see it. Um, something I want to get into here is kind of more of that um, psychology aspect of it um, because, you know, it's something that I harp on quite a bit. Um, and I think it starts with the cult of nutrition. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I've observed. And maybe this is like my general thesis towards nutrition 
and and actually towards a lot of things in culture, if people are finding themselves in a bad place, one of the greatest places that they can change that bad thing is in nutrition, if not the greatest, right? Maybe sleep, uh, other habits, but what you are, what you eat is like literally true. And nutrition is that thing. And so let's say that that person uh, changes their life with nutrition, but it's keto or it's carnivore or it's vegan or it's insert whatever diet. They become this, it's kind of like this cult. And a lot of what they do then is fight for that thing that they care so much about. They care so deeply about when in reality, they are just emotionally attached to this thing that changed their life. Do you feel that from your audience? Do you feel? Dude, like I feel it from my audience and it took me up until having kids to break out of that mindset myself. My content was so geared towards what worked for me that I was in an echo chamber. And that doesn't mean that the stuff that I talked about before isn't true or isn't real but I lived in such an echo chamber because I didn't want to hear anything else because what worked for me and what helped me with mental illness, what helped me with being overweight, helped me with anxiety, helped get me, get me off my addiction to benzodiazepines. I mean, it was like all of that had to do with my diet. So of course I want to freaking preach it from the mountaintops. Right. And I just so happened to have the gift of gab where it was able to explode and create a big what, channel. What an exciting thing too. Exactly. Right. I'm watching someone change their life. Totally. And look at what they look like and look at how they feel and how they act. And and what an emotional connection and exciting thing to have your audience latch onto. But then you and your audience are now guided down one path and you broke out of that. You said you mentioned your kids. How how did that have to do with anything? Dude, because once my kids were in the picture, I, I talked about this with, with Chris Williamson too. It's like, is the most magical, amazing thing that you could ever imagine. When my son, my son's five, came into this world, it was like something clicked in me where it was like, I have to look at things more globally. Like I have to look at things because my son is not gonna be like, I'm gonna do keto because dad's doing keto. You know, and I from the moment that I laid eyes on him, I'm just like, my, my, my world is much smaller now. And it's not about me anymore. And even though I was creating content that helped lots of people, it was like a weird manifestation of what worked for me that I was just outwardly folding to the public. It's interesting. There's a push and pull. You say you had to, your world got smaller, but you thought globally. So my world got smaller, but how I looked at the world, because my world, I was small in this massive world where before, before you have kids, sometimes you're like, and this isn't uh, like to cut down anyone that doesn't have kids, but it's like, you are the center of your own world in so many ways. The world is your oyster, so to speak. And you look at things like, oh, what can I accomplish? What can I do this and that? And I still look at things like that, but all of a sudden I'm like, I'm small. This world is huge. We just brought a life into this world. So I can think globally because all of a sudden it's like I've zoomed out and I've realized how small I am in this massive world. And so I have a global view because I'm like, it's like I'm standing on the moon looking at the earth and I can see how small I am, if that makes and, sense. And how has that manifested in your content or your ideas around nutrition? Like, so you were narrow before, but now you're global. What does that mean specifically towards nutrition? Well, 
I want to correct that because I don't think I was ever narrow. I always think that like I took a pretty non-dogmatic stance. I just okay. was very, I lived in an echo chamber and just wanted to talk what I wanted to talk about uh, because I was passionate about that. And then I realized that I need to actually become passionate about the science and or learn to be more passionate about the science versus just the outcome and the process and trusting mm-hmm. that process and that journey. So for me, it became much more about, well, maybe this keto thing, maybe this fasting thing was an amazing tool in my toolbox and I'm not going to abandon it. I'm going to adopt principles and mechanisms from it that have changed my life. And I went so deep down that rabbit hole that I would argue that I know a lot more about keto and fasting than probably 99% of the people in the world because I was so obsessed with it. So I know deep in my heart that that shit works. And I know deep in my heart that there's good data there. But at the same time, by neglecting other pieces of the nutritional circle, I was depriving myself and other people of what we could take from that to make ourselves all better humans. So what specifically, like if we were to talk, so what, um, what I think about is this like kind of cyclical nature of nutritionists sometimes, sometimes they're like this, where they think, wow, carnivore is it. Okay. Well, you know, fruit is pretty sweet. Fruit's pretty awesome. Let's add in some fruit. Okay. Well now what if we did paleo or what, you know, what sort of things, specifically when it comes to food groups, have you kind of realized or changed in the way that you present them? Yeah. Yeah. I can kind of walk you through that. So for me, it started with, okay, a targeted ketogenic approach, which I was really someone that kind of pioneered a lot of the talk behind that, which was if you're working at a high enough demand and a high enough threshold, you can afford yourself some carbohydrates, even in a ketogenic state, whether it's carb backloading or front loading before a workout or proper timing, just in various circumstances. Uh, I caught a lot of shit for that within the keto community anyway, because I'm like, hey, if you're actually training hard, you can probably have close to 100 grams of carbs and still be in a ketogenic state. Wait, so you caught shit? What do you mean? Well, because that's that went against the grain at that first point, even early on. You're already getting the dogma. You're getting the people like keto changed my life. And now you're telling me I can have carbs. Like, yeah. Well, but I also understand that it's a slippery slope for a lot of people. And like, it's almost like addiction and going in from eliminating carbs and going onto a, you know, a ketogenic protocol, it was like they were leaving the opiates aside. And like by saying like, it's okay to have a little fruit here and there. It's okay to have these carbs. You're like, oh, it's like you're telling me I can have heroin at a certain amount of time. Like, so they're like, screw you. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. And for those people, I get it. I get it because as someone that is a very addictive personality myself, I fully understand that. So I've always had hints of that. And like the first book that I wrote was called The New Mediterranean Diet. It was literally the ketogenic diet with Mediterranean principles. So I always marched to the beat of a different ketogenic drum. I was mm-hmm. always a proponent of relatively low saturated fat, higher monounsaturated, higher polyunsaturated, leaner meats. I had a very Mediterranean flair to how I looked at the ketogenic diet, which made me a little bit of a black sheep in the community, but not not one that was disrespected or, or anything. Man, that's so interesting because if you march to the keto drum, you start, you meant, you just say these words, ketogenic, keto, keto. People are going to be like, fuck this guy. Like he's anti-carbs. Like how could you bastard? And meanwhile, you're not even being accepted by the own, your own keto, like your own kind at that time. Yeah. It was a very, it's it's very interesting. Very lonely. Like having, (laughs) yeah. Having nuance, you have no clan. You have no clan and it's fuck. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, if we flash forward to like 2022, 2021, 2022, when I really was like, you know what? No, like we need to talk about keto as a specific tool, fasting as a specific tool, 
not the only way. And when I started becoming more strong in my convictions with being able to cycle through different diets, be a guinea pig, test different things, then that's when it got really lonely because then it was like, people were like, well, we don't know where you stand. Well, yeah, that's going to be difficult for me. I'm going to have to be going at this alone. I'm going to have to be a lone wolf and I'm going to have to pave the way. And I'm just now, I'm starting to see the fruits of that labor where it's like, here we are in 2023. It's like, now I've got a lot of respect amongst all kinds of different communities, yeah. which is very difficult to do in the nutrition community. I'm having, you know, like Simon Hill, like one of the leading plant-based guys. I mean, it's like, you gotta be able to open up and reach across the aisle and talk to these different groups and take little bits and pieces because that's the only way we're going to fucking grow. We can't live in our little verticals all the time. Like this is not how it works. So it's, it's been a process, but personal, like on a personal level, I kind of know your story as, as it comes to, cause what I want to do is be able to intermix maybe the, the, the issues that you've had, uh, in your like formative years, um, and, and wanting acceptance from certain people in your life and wanting acceptance from yourself mm-hmm. And how that actually parlay, like that it coexists in a, in a lot of the ways in how people manifest their, like being an influencer. So, you know, someone who's an influencer, it's like garnering this acceptance from this crowd that they've kind of created is a very toxic thing to them. Um, and I've seen it, I've seen a lot of disordered eating in my small amount of time being a quote unquote influencer. And, um, I've seen a lot of these things happen and I know that your story, like even outside of the influencer world kind of goes along with it. So I imagine partially some of the influencership has like almost catalyzed it, Mm -hmm. right? Has it, has it just kind of like molded into it? It's like, Hey, do you have like an eating disorder? Do you have, uh, issues with body dysmorphia? Well, here is a way that you can put that on you know, everyone's front page. Yes. So (laughs) it is a very real thing. And in a lot of ways, it's helped me with my past having eating disorders. It's helped me with my anxiety, with my OCD. It's helped me with things that I really struggled with as a kid. You know, I mentioned uh, in a couple of podcasts, you know, like I went through a phase in middle school where I was pulling my hair out. So I had massive bald spots all over the place, you know. Um, I've really kind of been... I, when I went into high school, I basically had to go through independent study so that I could work full time and also help support my family because we were just going through it was a rough divorce, a lot of crazy stuff, right? So like I learned at a very young age just to put my money where my mouth is, but also just like that I wasn't going to get any handouts. And that just, that helped me kind of understand what I had control in or of was how hard I could work at certain things. I had control over what I could put in my body nutritionally. I had control over my output, how hard I could work in the gym, things like, at least at that point in time, things change as you get older, you have injuries, life changes. But a lot of this stuff helped me understand my operating system as a child. And now everything is on display, right? So it's like, I am, I'm expected to look a certain way. I'm expected to deliver and articulate a certain way because I've created this threshold for myself. I've created this bar that is set high and the standard that I'm held to is very, very high. And I'm okay with that because I've created that, but it certainly does kind of regurgitate some of that, those feelings. It helps me, you know, as a kid, because now it's on display. The difference is because it's my profession, 
in a way I can gamify it and in a way I can objectify it and see that like, wow, I'm operating that way or I'm seeking validation from that mm. or, oh, why do I, like, and existentially, like I make good money. I, I have a, a great employees, great team. Like I've helped change a lot of lives. I've got a wife I've been with for 18 years. I've got two beautiful children. Like my life is good, but I still suffer this existential thing where it's like, I'm longing for more. And if I get leaner, it doesn't mean that my wife loves me more. If I get leaner, I don't make more money. If I get leaner, I don't get more followers. So what's the freaking point, right? The point is that I'm passionate about what I do. So it's helped me understand that by checking those boxes. I'm like, mm. shit, what actually really gets me off is learning new shit and sharing it with people. And I don't have a desire to change that. So it, yeah, it, it's hard though to determine what it is that others value about you and what it is you truly value. And then the thing, the actions that you end up taking. True. I find that humans, we can deliver our values on a podcast plainly, but sometimes our actions do not align with those values that we claimed. And like you said, if you get leaner, your wife doesn't love you you know, certain things don't happen. Well, you basically told me that you value your wife's love. That's value to you. And yet your actions towards getting leaner have literally no correlation to that whatsoever. So that's where, you know, the, the things you mentioned earlier, like I was able to control uh, what I ate. I was able to control how hard I worked. Those things are always something that we as, or, or not we, but influencers as a whole are telling the audience to do. And yet that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. No. Right. Like control, control, control. That's not always a good thing. Like, no, it's control. And it's also a coping mechanism. Right. You know, and it's like, so for me, an element of control isn't about controlling other people. It's about controlling the situation in a world where you feel out of control. So it's more so it's like, it's not about the control. It's about the impetus for the need for control. And that impetus for the need for control is clearly feeling out of control uh, or a desire to cope somehow. Mm -hmm. And people turn to addiction. People turn to all kinds of things. Do you feel like you now have better oversight on that? You, do, you, do you feel like you're going, whoa, 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 I got to take it back here. I'm going too far down that route of where I was maybe prior to having kids or where I was prior to meeting my wife. Do you, do you ever feel like, do you feel like you have a better idea, understanding of like this push and pull? Oh, a million percent. Like I, I, I feel very in control now. Like very, very, well, like, <laughs> I guess control is probably not the best. Yeah, word, I know what we're, you're saying, we're kind I, of like demonizing that right now. Very self-aware. Right, very, very, right. You get, you, you're thinking outside of yourself, looking at your situation 100%, better. hundred percent. Then it's, and it's something that I, like I, I promised myself that I'm going to continue to work on even more and more and more, even if it means, Hey, like fitness changes for me. You know, if that means that it doesn't look the way that it does right now. But the interesting that's happened, interesting thing that's happened is that through this process, it's actually helping me fall in love with my own love of fitness again, not someone else's love of my love of fitness. Right. It's it's a you know. This is something I think about quite quite often, like a lot, actually, is a lot of people in their lives, they are out of control of a lot of things. 
and people in fitness say, hey, here's a small thing you can control. And it's incredible. But this slippery slope, you know, whether it's fallacious or not, is the obsessive nature of that control. And okay, now I'm going to control this to the point of somewhat of like an orthorexic type of status. And, you know, there is nothing healthy, there's nothing sane, there's nothing positive about be, of having like that orthorexic type of behavior. You know, someone who's just absolutely obsessed with the control over their body. Um, <clears throat> not necessarily their mind, but what they put their body through. And that can actually lead to more disorder down the line. Yes, and I, I found that how I've dealt with that as someone that is probably never going to rid myself of the grips of having an eating disorder and being the way that I was when I was younger. If you look at my content, it's almost always focused on enriching the positive aspects of certain foods. Mm -hmm. If you're going to be obsessive, obsess over the positive. Mm. And I want to become obsessed with learning what something can do for me. And I want to be obsessed with what something can do to nourish me so that I feel good about that. I was waiting for you to say nourish. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about that, you know, and it's not about demonizing and reacting like all social media is. It's like all fear mongering all the time. And I've done my fair share of that and I'm fucking done with it. Like, it's just, it doesn't work. It works for a second, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It works on the climb. It really works well on the climb and like fucking crazy well. Yeah. (laughs) You're, 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 you're a, you know you're an example of that. Like you're, you're making this climb, you're losing weight. Everything's going better. You're looking better. You're feeling better. Oh, oh, oh. But th- there has to be this like, okay, what's deeper? What's further down the line? And that is, I, I call into question a lot of guys who you wouldn't even consider to be, you know, when I say the word influencer, People automatically go towards somebody, you know, pushing a supplement or a lot like maybe like an aesthetic bro or something like that. But no, I mean, guys who are very well respected and their message is incredibly positive. I think of people like that you would call no one would ever call them an influencer, but David Goggins. But, uh, you know, Jocko Willink, guys whose message is about self-ownership and pushing yourself. However... There's something that oftentimes isn't packaged with that. And it's that deeper thing that we keep talking about, right? It's like, okay, it gets to a certain level where this control is more compulsive. It's more, or not compulsive, it's more obsessive. It's more, it, it overtakes you. And I think, you know, maybe, maybe spirituality or things of that nature need to come into play at some point. Some of, uh, you know, like a lot of like the way of the warrior type stuff, a lot of samurai, spirituality is a massive part of it because yes, it's about self self ownership, but there, there has to be a depth to, to what you're doing. Dude. Well, and the, the fear within the industry of, I can speak for myself, although I, I feel like I've got a good grasp on it, but I see it so much where the fear of letting go of, what you are doing now. If I don't look this way, or if I don't speak this way, or if I don't do this, like what's going to happen? That, what metrics that, am I going to lose? What? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's wild fucking hearing you say that. Yeah. It's wild. 
I literally, it's a daily activity for me. That worry that you have. Yeah. It's literally a daily activity. And I, and now it's nice to know that it's the same fucking feeling that all of us have. I honestly think Mark doesn't have that feeling whatsoever. And that's why I'm so attracted to him. Yeah. That's what makes him amazing. Yeah. He's, he's become, yeah, I would, I would genuinely consider him one of my closest friends just because like he can just, he is someone that I can. He you, just amazes me. I could pick up the phone, dude. Like, I, could, I yeah. And he he would be there in a heartbeat too. Like he would be like if I was like Mark, dude. Like I'm in Austin and like I need help. Like he'd be there. Like it's just I don't have many friends like that, dude. The first episode of this podcast was with him, right in here, right here. I said, "What are you doing here, Mark?" He's like, "To see you." I've known him for like three weeks at this point. I went out to do his show. Uh, it was before I met you. Mm-hmm. But like, that's, he's like, oh, I trust you. I like you. I spoke with you for three hours on my podcast. I know you. I trust you. Like I said, you know, that's it. We're friends and I'll fucking be loyal to you. It was like wild. I've never felt that from anyone. Yeah. And that's a guy to me who just has this unshakable self-confidence. Yeah. It's amazing, man. It's, it's, and he told me right before I met you, he's like, he's like, you are going to love Zach. He's like, you two, he's like, I think you guys are going to click. And it was, uh, and I trust his judge, his judgment on that. So him saying that, like for me, it was like already, I met you thinking like, I'm going to like this guy. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, I aspire to be like Mark in so many ways. Um, it doesn't mean that I want to do the same things he does. It means that as a father, like, it's just, man, I just, I appreciate the guy. You know, we're, this reminds me, I was talking about the orthorexic person. And for those listening, I, I guess my cursory overview of that is somebody who's just is so obsessive with their health that they actually are unhealthy. Mm -hmm. And I think of, uh, Aaron, who I also had on my podcast, a good friend of mine, you, you would love him. Aaron Alexander. Yeah. Yeah. I'm filming with him on Saturday. Oh, well, there you go. So Aaron was like, I would rather the casual cigarette smoking Italian who drinks probably a little bit too much wine but has really good friends and a really good family, I would take him over the orthorexic person 10 times out of 10. And all three things are, you know, drinks too much, smokes a little bit too much. It Those are things that in the fitness industry, those are absolute no-nos. There's absolutely no benefit to those things. However, that person is more healthy than the person who wants to control every aspect of their life and optimize every aspect of their life. And, you know, it's to, to like link this back to Mark, it's almost like Mark has come full circle in that, you know, he's, he's relinquished some of that just psychotic nature. And, and I wish I would love to go deeper with him on that. And, and, you know, it's like, it's the same thing I feel with with you. You have to have this renaissance of sorts in your mind. Yeah. It's otherwise you're just like, how far can you go? You know? And like, I really think that I've done a good job of being authentic. I'm not like tooting my own horn. Like I think I've been authentic, but I feel like if anyone is going to be the person that can say, Hey, like people listen to me because I look a certain way and I deliver a certain way. Like, you know what? Maybe I'm the person to set this shit straight. Like maybe, maybe I'm going to be the one that helps people realize not the quote unquote bullshit in the fitness industry. Let's do reaction videos and call out BS. Fuck that shit. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about calling out the real BS, the BS behind the BS caller outers, the BS behind all the, the shit that's like, we're calling out the BS 
that is the giant masquerade that is the fitness industry to begin with. So I am guilty of that, but I'm also, I can, I can bring up so many occasions where I go through this exact thing. It's a mental struggle. So if I disagree with something, I'm going to say, hey, I disagree with it. Here's why, why, why. Okay. Well, that's different than but, like- but, but to, the first video I made on Liver King, I was actually calling into question the call out culture. I don't think people know this. Like people think I just hated him. What I th- was, what I was considering was, is the call out culture, is the natty or not culture, is that more beneficial? Does that lead us to our utopia? And it can be argued that it doesn't, right? It, it, it's like where we would head after that might not be the best thing. We've created this enemy, but the reality is things are gray, mm-hmm. very gray. You know, like if The Rock comes out and says, hey, guys, I'm shooting up like this is my this is what I take. This is exactly how I do it. If you want to do it, you get like. Does that make the world a better place? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. Why does nobody say that? Mark had the greatest example of this. And it was so funny. We said this on the show. I'm like, well, first off, I think we're in a place of like where, you know, the in the sixties, when we thought about sex, it was like free love. It was this boom explosion into free love. And then we find out, I guess it's not exactly the way to go. You can't just have complete and utter debauchery in your life. And now we realize, okay, we realize there like abstinence wasn't the answer, but free love also isn't the answer. Okay. Dare comes into play, uh, with the drugs, right? Complete abstinence is not the answer of drug use. Like we have to have some sort of educational system. However, it can be argued that the other way, just everyone just using drugs without any oversight whatsoever is probably not a good idea. Now I think the same thing is occurring in steroids. Uh, we are, we are currently in that right now. We are in that figuring out stage. It's a wild, wild world. It's we're, we've evolved past. I think we need to evolve past this if people just tell us what they're doing, that's a great thing. It's like if someone's doing something medically or, you know, like where, what's the line, you know, do I have to tell someone like the, the medicine that I take that changes my hormones? Like what's the line? Oh, testosterone's the line. Okay. Well, what about like, I don't know what other, any other hormone? Yeah. Oh, you're, yeah. Thyroid medication. Like I'm taking that. Like what, you know, what, what do I have to disclose to you guys? Yeah. And who's, who's holding the spreadsheet? Exactly. Like, and where are the goalposts? Yeah. Cause we keep moving them back and forth. And again, this comes from a guy who's, who just called out liver King for being, using steroids. Just the same thing with you. It's like, you are complaining to me about the keto community and you are the keto guy. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like, and we are the people to be able to address those situations because we are in it. Like, it's not the same to call it out from the peanut gallery. It's like, it is better to call it out from being in the, that position. in it, right. Like it's, I see with diet culture, with fitness, like we need a serious interrupt. It's not just steroids. It's not just the discussion there. It's the discussion with nutrition. It's the discussion with training modalities. Like what the hell happened to just fitness to feel good? Like what happened to feeling good? Why is feeling good such a, such a lame thing now? Like, like, no, I want to feel good. I think because people push it. And it doesn't sell. Feeling good 
on the surface doesn't sell. Well, so like, okay, someone just starts getting fucking shredded and ripped and making a ton of money selling supplements saying you can look like this. Like, again, this is the argument, right? You can look like this. You can feel, uh, you not feel like this. You can just be like this completely naturally. Meanwhile, the guy's taking every hormone synthetically known to man, right? Those people exist. They do. And they are, they are the few people that are fucking it up for everyone else. Right, because like if you look like a fucking cartoon character, you get a lot of likes, you get a lot of attraction. Tra- it's just how it works, dude. It's so. Tr- I, mean, I look like me because I'm a sick and twisted individual <laughs> with a fucked up past that makes me want to look like this. It's not because I eat X amount of carbs, or you know what I mean? Right. That is like it's just like and why can't we just be real like that because that is more inspiring to people than anything is because then people can look at me like I might not look like Thomas because I'm not sick and twisted and I don't have a fucked up childhood and I don't have this and that but see ultimately they're going to look at that and think of that as some sort of threat on who they are as a person that's true that's they, true they could look at you and be like well you're not fucked up like me you don't work like me you don't you know that they, they, <laughs> they can look at what you're saying in that vein that's absolutely true that's a very good point and so if you back that down and you make it more mild, then it's almost like, okay, like then you can, then you can make, yeah, you can make it about work and you're, that's going to get shot down or you can make it about work and then it gets shot down with the drugs, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I guess the bottom line is that like we need to have more realness, but it's not going to happen. Like we're just not going to get everyone to be real. I, I really do think that it's because a lot of people spoil this. Yeah. Well, it's just like every new evolution of younger people coming in, it's like, I've seen it like I've been around the block on this for a long time and I've seen people come and go and I've seen the evolution of people, how they come in bright and shiny. And then like even Aubrey Marcus, like such a good example, like, right, like where he came in and then now he's like, he's kind of come full circle with a lot of his approach and a lot of things and just being much more holistic and how he looks at things. But you look at like the OGs in the space and they do this, they go through, they have their shiny days and then they're like, wait a minute, no, let's, let's be real here. But you're always going to have new people coming in. You're always going to have, you know, young 20-somethings that are shredded that are going to be like, yes, I look this look this way because X, Y, Z, and they realize they can make some money. But I will tell you that I made more money and made more impact by being as real as I possibly could and by stepping off of my high horse than I ever did before. And people are longing for real connection, man. They really are. Mm-hmm. And the people that are also longing for connection are the more educated, intelligent, self-aware people that are also willing to buy from you and put the money where their mouth is to make themselves a better person in ways that actually are actionable versus just spending money on whatever supplements. So you're going to make more money and feel better by being a real person. And you're going to have a bigger impact than you are by just flashing your abs it's, it took me a while to really figure that out because money was never my big driver, but it's a it's, decent barometer. For you that. understand though, that's an uphill fight that you're, that what you're calling at is like having a, you know, just your voice. Like I'm at a megaphone, right? And I'm going, if you look fucking shredded, here's 100,000 likes. <laughs> so okay. True, and you're in that same crowd of people and you're going, no, if you're real, like, if you're real, people will genuinely connect with you. You see, it's like, totally. This is, this is back to originally what I was talking about with Mark. I got sidetracked. 
Uh, but he said, it's like if I go out to a bar and I sleep with a really hot chick and I tell you, hey, staying up late and drinking alcohol is not a good thing for you because it isn't. That person is going to be like, but you slept with a hot chick, right? That guy that you're talking to, he's not going to hear anything else you have to say. There are going to be some people that will learn and, and those are, you know, whatever. But it's almost as if people have to learn themselves. And I, I would like to think that the evolution is actually on the viewer. So if you evolve or if you don't, like say you're a bodybuilder and you evolve and you change and you like watching Mark evolve, I've seen him lose a lot of his following. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've also seen this like renaissance and it's just been so cool to be friends with him on the back end of that. And, uh, you know, I think what can happen is like, say you follow a bodybuilder, never changes, but you change. And then you start to follow different people and you start to do different things. That's on the viewer as well. Right. So you can choose your path as the consumer um, rather than watching your guy change. Right. Yeah. You don't have to change. You don't have to change your audience or vice versa. You know, and I've noticed that when I mentioned the whole 2022 being a rough year is like, you know, our audience growth in 2021 took a hit. I mean, we went from growing 500, 750,000 subscribers a year to like 200, 300,000. Now we're back on the upswing again because now we, we had to go through that gray area of being like, no, we're changing the paradigm. We're changing how we talk and this is going to upset people. We're going to lose people, but in time we're going to gain and attract the right people that want to see this. Yep. And now it's on a huge upswing. That's great because it's, I like, didn't know that it's like, know. well, I mean, it never like, slowed down massively. Like it's a pretty big machine, but you know, enough that I could see it in the analytics. But the interesting thing is, is like now, if we look at analytics, like my retention and the viewership and the, how long they stay on a video is exponentially long. Wow. So the people that I have now by taking a less dogmatic and more like nuanced approach with good discussion and good mindfulness in my content, they have the ability to withstand longer content. They can handle it. And that only helps things algorithmically too. Um, I want to pivot just a little bit now um, to, because you mentioned this when I first met you, your work with the uh, armed forces. I, I think it's incredibly interesting. And one of the things that you're tasked with doing is longevity of a, of a special operative. Can, yeah. you, can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, when you look at, operators and you know I don't want to speak out of turn speak too much about it but when you look at you know special operations in general it's like you look at uh, TBIs you look at all this stuff all these things that are that we don't think about that these like serious serious warriors like badasses go through and being able to do what I can to help them from a cognitive nutrition standpoint do what I can to help them get more out of their life at home and at work, but also being able to help them get more out of their career or get more out of when they're done with their career. And, you know, Dr. Uh, Gabrielle Lyon is another person that does some amazing work in like the veteran field, like for that. Right. So for me, from what I feel comfortable being able to share, I mean, essentially I help certain special forces groups 
with being able to get more out of their nutrition so that they have better cognitive function, but ultimately just feel better. And it's been a great honor, and I consider it very philanthropic in a lot of ways. It's a way that I feel like I can serve my country. Uh, it's a way that I feel like I can help people that are really putting everything on the line to get more out of their life. And I feel like that's really, really important, whether it's military, whether it's law enforcement, whether whatever it is, doing something that actually makes you feel fulfilled. And that is not a huge like moneymaker for me. It's mm-hmm. not. Does it take up some of my time? It does in certain situations. Yeah. And I'm going to be speaking and doing some training uh, with the FBI as well. And like, that just makes me feel so good. I'm like, you know what? I'm good enough for the military. I'm good enough for the army. I'm good enough to do some training with the FBI. So what if some hater says something online? At least I'm good enough to be able to help these people that are really putting their shit on the line. Uh, you said it's not good, necessarily good business to do that, but it is good business for these bureaus or uh, units to utilize your information, right? Because it can extend the longevity of a special operative. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly make that argument that like, you know, the shelf life of, you know, how much money do people put into training for anything, whether it's special operations, whether it's law enforcement, whether it's whatever first responders, there's a lot of training and a lot of money that goes into that. And I think holistically, we need to be looking at that too. But like, how can you improve how long someone can stay on the field. Like, and it's the same even with athletics too. Like how much money do people put into that? You look at all this, anything that's high intensity, anything that's high performance, Mm -hmm. (laughs) excuse me, anything that's high performance, how are you able to extend the shelf life of that person, of that operator, of that investigator, of that, you know, because that's an economic play too. Like it makes sense. Like if someone's shelf life is five years, taking serious blows and micro blasts all the time, but you can actually help them feel better and squeak seven years out of it. That's good all around because most of the people that I have talked to and have worked with really enjoy what they do. A lot of operators really enjoy what they do. A lot of agents enjoy what they do. First responders enjoy what they do. And then they reach a point where all of a sudden they don't, you know, and by being able to help the mental side of that, the nutrition side of that, the physical side of that, it's very rewarding for me. So what can you, it's like, it's hard to say, like, what can you disclose? Like, <laughs> I guess, what does that look like? I mean, for this, I don't even know if I should really comfortably like be discussing okay. this, but I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, and this may be just kind of off record. I mean, for a lot of it, it's, you know, well, say, say as much as you think you should. Okay. I don't want to put you in a bad spot. Yeah. No, for what I feel comfortable saying, I mean, I'll go and I, I can conduct some trainings with particular special operations units. Um, you know, I can conduct training and teaching them how to apply principles that might make them more effective in the field. Uh, so that might be things like in a little case like intermittent fasting, which sounds like, oh, I can't believe you're going to spread that horseshit over to the, you know, the military. No, it's about teaching some of these guys that maybe if they can get themselves fat adapted and they can go for longer periods of time without food, it actually makes sense for them on the field. It makes sense in a particular situation where they might not have access to food for X amount of time, but if they're not accustomed to being able to go without food, they do go hypoglycemic. You do run into a problem. You do have to stop and eat. So, you know, part of my area of expertise is in that world is in 
low-carb diets, is in ketogenic, is in intermittent fasting, is in fat adaptation, and utilized in endurance situations. So if you look at it, how it's applied in endurance athletes, it's phenomenal for that because people can go do ultra marathons with very, very little fuel without having to stop and worry about refueling all the time. So you think about that even from an economic standpoint, it makes sense. If we can teach people to be able to get by with less in certain situations, not all the time, that's very beneficial. How can someone be fat adapted with not much fat on their body? Like how can they consume that as their... I mean, is it just straight up the actual fat that they're consuming immediately then becomes energy? Or like, because the way that I would see it is like, okay, well, we're not going to utilize carbohydrates. We're going to utilize fat stores. Is that not the case? Yes, it is the case. But I, first of all, even myself being very, very lean, I still have enough fat on me to get me through a couple of days without eating, right? That's not going to be an issue. Now, the leaner that you are, absolutely, you're going to start catabolizing more. There's no doubt about that. Most people, you know, and I mean like 99.9% .9 have more than enough. So, so let's talk about the 0 0.01, like a marathon runner. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah. Like, so like a marathon runner. They're going to eat very sugar, lean. correct? Most of them eat sugar. You've got, uh, I'd say about 15% or so that I've seen are people that are like marathon runners that are still in the elite class that are ketogenic. Uh, and I think so. Most? No, most of them are not keto. Oh, oh, okay. So, but when you start getting into the ultra marathon categories and you've got guys like Zach Bitter and everything like that, where it's all about that. And that just makes sense. Wow. So when you start looking at very long distances, it makes sense to be able to say, hey, I'm going to have like a little packet of coconut oil and be able to give myself some fats that my body can utilize that has nine calories per gram compared to four calories per gram. So from an endurance standpoint, we see a lot of research that a ketogenic diet is very beneficial, very glycogen sparing because the body's utilizing fats, utilizing alternative substrates. So you spare glycogen for when you need it most. So you end up with the ability to go longer at a low to moderate intensity with the same volume of fuel because it's more calorically dense. Mm, but would you say then the use of you know, carbohydrates would allow for more explosive and more oh, explosive sure. athlete. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's, a, <clears throat> I don't think there's any denying that. I think that, uh, I mean, you can look at various literature because you would, you would figure it's like, what's the most efficient fuel. And what you're saying is like per gram or whatever per gram of fat, there's more fuel potential. There yes. Than, in than a beta oxidation state. I mean, in a, in a low intensity state. Yes. Yeah. Smooth, Ultra, just like in zone two to zone just three, chilling and yep. just going forever. Yeah, Th that kind of makes sense. Yeah, and that's and then when you think about like rucking, or you put it into like a, a military operator situation, like a lot of the load that they're doing is like just right in that zone three. You know, they're rucking, they're carrying a heavy load, they're doing a lot of that, and then they have quick spurts of whatever. It's same kind of thing like in, in a lot of professional sports too. It's like a lot of downtime in the zone two, zone three, and then quick explosive bouts. That being said, like having these explosive bouts, yes, you need carbohydrates for that, but that's also implying that a low carb athlete or someone that is low carb has like zero glycogen all the time. That's not how it works. Like the body resynthesizes glycogen from other substrates. Like you create mm. glycogen from glycerol, the fatty acid backbone, you know, have a triglyceride. You create glycogen from, uh, uh, gluconeogenesis from breaking down proteins, not necessarily your muscle, just from the protein that you eat. 
So you create glycogen. You don't need glucose to store glycogen. And if you eat glycogen-rich you know, carbohydrates, then you won't create them or you will no, create you just, it less efficiently? Well, I wouldn't say it's, it's probably just as efficient in a low-carb athlete because a low-carb athlete develops inefficiency at gluconeogenesis. Mm-hmm. They develop an efficiency to be able to store glycogen from other substrates much easier than someone that is not fat adapted. Mm. So there's the old, the uh, Volick study, the faster study, which is like a very famed study with this, where they took ultra endurance athletes and they had carb fed athletes versus fat fed athletes, ketogenic versus not. And they measured like muscle glycogen resynthesis and total muscle glycogen. At the end of the like two hours of running, they had the exact same amount of muscle glycogen in both groups, and they resynthesized glycogen at the same rate in both groups, independent of carbohydrate consumption. So the fat group, the group that was keto, still restored muscle glycogen within 24 hours, the same way the carb group did. Their body just resynthesized it from or synthesized it from different substrates. That's what people don't realize about the ketogenic diet is they think like, oh, carbs are non-existent. Your body manufactures carbs. And I think the soft argument is like, hey, like you you always need carbohydrates. Like no one is saying you don't need, well, some people are. You need carbohydrates. You need them so much that your body will create them from other substrates. So in a ketogenic state, your body just does that. Now you can get fat adapted without being keto. Like you can develop fat adaptation just by depriving yourself of glycogen, like draining your glycogen tanks and training in a very deprived state. Arguably people that are doing bodybuilding cuts where they're depleting a whole lot and draining glycogen stores and then training in a depleted state, you're not only building insulin sensitivity, but you're also activating what's called PPAR alpha. So you're getting this nuclear receptor protein that kind of activates the ability for the mitochondria to utilize fats better. So you don't even need to be ketogenic to do that. So any kind of first responder, special forces, things like that, I try to condition and teach, again, like what I am teaching is never like, this is the way to do it. It's always optional. It's always op- mm-hmm. like, hey, know, again, like a tool. It's elective training. Yeah. Like it's, el- it's very elective. They don't have to do it. I don't come in and say like, hey, like, you know, so. Do you find though that people, like, I find that people don't really hear that. They just kind of jump on. They're like, I'm going keto. Yeah, exactly, man. And that's, but that's part of the learning process. Do you think that most people are going to go through something like that and they're not going to be careful? And I think, do you think that that's kind of okay? I think so. I think they need to learn, you know, and I did a really robust job at like trying to create as much content to educate people properly. Uh, And I think the people that were with me and kind of early on kind of learned that and they've grown with that and they've learned and they've evolved as I've evolved because there's things that I've learned too, like things that I would have done differently, right? Like I would have been implementing carbs strategically much earlier had I known what more of a benefit I would have gotten. I want to talk about stress um, and inflammation. Sure. And both of those terms and how they're thrown around quite a bit. Um, Peter Atia was just on Rogan and, um, you know, they were talking about that and, and also Lane Norton, had, they, they brought him up and how they're saying stress is what we look for. Uh, and that inflammation is also what we look for. It's just the amount and the, the amount of exposure to it. And the way that we're exposed to it is what we're looking to control, if you will, or, or try to manage. Um, I guess what I'm wondering from you is where is stress good? Where is stress bad? Where is inflammation good? And where is inflammation bad? Yeah. Well, you've got, you know, the hormetic curve, of course, where it's 
this line of, uh, there's a, basically a line of diminishing return. And that hormetic curve is different for every person, right? Like you can withstand a certain level of stress. I can withstand a certain level of stress before it becomes detrimental. And it's a very sharp drop off once it becomes detrimental. So it's like the curve goes up, goes up, goes up, like more stress equals more adaptation, more stress equals more adaptation. Then all of a sudden more stress equals crashed, like no adaptation, detriment. That is very difficult to measure, you know, without extensive lab work, right? That you can't do that without having a, a metabolic, well, I shouldn't say you can do it without a metabolic ward, but you definitely need to be looking at your markers very closely. So when it comes down to stress, like I'll use the cold plunge stuff as an example. We've got like an epidemic of people that just cold plunge all the time. <laughs> okay. An epidemic <laughs> of people that should be taking that energy and probably just going to the gym, but instead they're taking a cold shower in their mom's basement. And I have nothing wrong, no problem with a cold plunge. I have one. I do it occasionally. I think it feels good. But you know what's wild, man, is if I consistently cold plunge, and I'm not going to toot my horn again, but I kind of am. I train pretty hard. I run a lot. I train hard. I kind of eat in a caloric deficit. I put a lot of stress on my body. When I start cold plunging too, I get fucking sick every time because that is just too far over the line for my body. It's like I do all this stuff and then I'm also adding cold plunge in. My body's like, screw you, dude. Like you're putting me through enough. Okay. So that's where I want to talk about then that inflammation. Yeah. One of the things with the cold plunge that Chris and I talk about, and this seems like it's bro science. I have another idea around bro science very, very soon. Um, I want definitely want to come back to that word because I love it and I love discussing it in depth. Um, but limiting inflammation is bad. Yes. Right. We we're creating inflammation. Yes. When we do a bicep curl. So why would we want to limit that inflammation? Yeah. Right? For sure. Very big difference between like an acute response, acute inflammation in its appropriate fashion and chronically elevated inflammation. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a whole different ballgame. Chronic inflammation is when your body, it does not come back down. And that, so I understand that can come from nutrition, which I want to cover, but how does that come from action? Yeah, for sure. So if I go into the gym and I inflict a bunch of damage upon my body by training hard, I'm going to have elevated markers of predominantly interleukin-6, some tumor necrosis factor alpha, other inflammatory markers. It's perfectly normal. If I were to quell that, that would be negative. That would be bad. That is precisely why it's not recommended in very healthy individuals to have copious amounts of antioxidants right after training. Like that used to be a thing back in the 90s. They used to be like, oh, take echinacea, help help blunt the body's uh, uh, response to reactive oxygen species. Whoa. Start, try to, you know, have omega-3s right after your workout. And then we start seeing like, wait a minute, that's actually like, we are not going to outdo our body's ability to quell inflammation naturally. Our body's going to quell, if, disclaimer, if you are a metabolically healthy person where things are operating normally, your body is going to adjust things the way that it should in due time. Don't fuck with it. Now, we have this like need to optimize, need to control, there's that word again, Right where we shouldn't be optimizing. What we should be doing is giving our body the nourishment and the proper tools necessary so that it can do its fucking job. And I think that's super important for people to realize. They're like, I want to stop inflammation. No, you don't. You don't want to know what life feels like without inflammation. Like a perfect example is 
um, like if you have to go on a like a, a steroid, like prednisone, mm-hmm. or yep, you know, one that's the, a life without inflammation. That's a life without inflammation for you. Yeah, there you go. And that's a tough one. Yeah, prednisone will make you fucking crazy. It'll mess you up, man, and it'll crush your immune system, and you will feel all kinds of shit will happen to you. You'll retain water, mineral corticoid bloat, all this stuff. It's it's a mess. Yeah, I I it, I got my thyroid under control thanks to Merrick Health. Actually, is one of the, and I, I, all these, like my skin has gotten better. My joints feel better. It's because I'm getting this adequate inflammatory response. At least that's what I believe. Yeah. And I think, so now to argue, essentially this is one big argument against optimal bros. Right. And I think though we shouldn't, we need to do the cert like another optimal bro is Huberman. Do you know him well? I know him. You met him? I would say I know him. So it's interesting. I knew him before his brand was fairly big because he operated in some parallel ways uh, with the military as well. He, we had some common, mm. some common peeps there. Um, so I, 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 after hearing him speak, it's like, cause I kind of have this anger and I can feel you have it too towards stop being an optimal bro. Like stop worrying about optimizing all this shit. Like let your body do what it needs to do, but fuel your body in order to do the things that it needs to do. And so I'm like, fuck you Huberman. Like, you know, you're, you're the one telling everyone to optimize this, this, and this. But if you listen to this guy speak, he is giving disclaimer after disclaimer after disclaimer after disclaimer until people clip him you know they clip him they'll clip him out and be like you need to stare into the sun for five minutes every morning and you're like bro chill out and you get anger towards this guy because you're like i gotta like i got other shit i need to do in my life than to worry about staring at the sun but he genuinely after listening to him and giving him the benefit of the doubt and coming from that place, like he's genuinely giving these disclaimers constantly. Yeah, dude. Well, dude, it's the same. And he's solid. He is rock solid. I I do not like the 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 haters on on him. Actually, oh, currently, no. you got to be a certain level of fucked up to be a hater on him, or just have zero, like zero ability to like watch some long form content now and yep. then. And I mean, people people do it to me all the time too, right? Because like my content is the reason my videos are the length they are is because it's disclaimer after disclaimer after disclaimer. Uh, hey, you know, just so you know, there's. What I'm going to say now is a rodent model study. However, it's very interesting rodent model data that if you want to get excited about it, maybe there's something you can do with it. Thomas, why are your videos nine minutes long? Probably because I have to give seven minutes of disclaimers explaining shit. But that's doesn't you won't get rewarded. Yeah. This is the catch 22 of influencership right the fuck here. You're not going to get rewarded for disclaimerism when it is an absolute necessity. Mm -hmm. It is our job to disclaimer the to, to place these things in there. And as much as we would love to just say, get in the cold tub, you know, or something like that. Um, it is important that we say those things. And yet the biggest rewards come from a 10 million viewed short. That's 60 seconds long. Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the comprehension of a guy like Huberman, a guy like you, a guy like me, a guy like Chris, you know, <laughs> Chris, Chris is a hilarious situation because I follow him on TikTok. Chris doesn't even follow himself on TikTok. Like he, meaning he has no idea what happens there. He doesn't have it on his phone. He doesn't, it just auto uploads on there. 
And so I'm pulling up his TikTok and it's like a snippet of a conversation that's much deeper about like women being childless and, you know, negative things that have happened because of it, where maybe leading up to that, there was 10 minutes of disclaimers in the comment section. He is getting absolutely shredded and I'm reading it. Chris has no idea it exists, right? <laughs> it's like, but he's playing that game and, uh, you know, that, that, cursory overview that everyone's getting it causes a lot of the issues that we deal with i have i don't know why this came up this is a, a big uh like an example of this like outside of the fitness world or or whatever optimal bro world i uh i have this ex-girlfriend and i broke up with her and i had heard some things about her current boyfriend and so i wrote this long letter being like look i still care about you as a person and i feel like kind of this obligation to at least state my case and to, you know, hopefully we still have that in there. And her response was like, like she read something different. It was like, I can't believe you're jealous of, you know, like my current relationship and you want me back now and your friends are talking shit about me. It's like, did you even read what I wrote? You know, but someone would assume that, oh, you're reaching out to an ex with something long. It must mean that you want them back. Right. So to, to kind of correlate that with what we're talking about, the moment that you talk about something, even though it could mean something different, people will already perceive what they view that as. Oh, dude. And it's only on social media, it's only exacerbated if you have a certain look too. Like I think that just based upon the fact that like I'm an in-shape white guy, I probably like career or just even an in-shape guy in general, but like probably elicit some kind of visceral response from a lot of men where, you know, there's just like a, like, I don't want to listen to this fucking guy. Like, so before they even, they've already created casted judgment on this like fictional character they've created in their head to be me, you know? And then they hear a 30 second clip of, maybe bits and pieces of yeah, what they so want I, to hear I have to validate that. Yeah. You know, I have a clip uh, that I was, I, I watched, I mean, I've watched all your, you know, Instagram clips and stuff like that. And there's one is like, you know, this might not be a good option in the morning because it can elevate your glucose levels. And it was like grapes or something. I don't, mm. I don't know. And that was, it was like not that deep so for me, <laughs> you know, to, to argue against that. It's like, okay, well, I have to worry about glucose intake in the morning. Like I got to feed the kids. I got to, you know, wake up with all that shit. It's like, but no, you're just playing the game. You're just putting that clip. Obviously the much deeper Thomas DeLauer exists. Yeah. Yeah. Instagram sucks. It sucks that I even have to have it. Like if I had it my way, I just delete it. And I might like, I, it's like, it's so like, I'm like, why, why, why do I even put this short form content on there? Um, because it just can't, ex it can't possibly exist in that way. Yeah. Right. There it's, needs to be the discussion. There needs then. to be the discussion. And it's, and I do think that I do a decent job within short clips of like explaining as much science as I can. But then it's like, then you're just making it this, like talking so fast, to try to cram as much as you can in. But I want to be able to have people be elevated above the typical bro shit. Like it needs to be, it's okay to get excited about stuff and have stuff in your toolbox without taking it to the bank as gospel. I want to look up, there's this, uh, this guy, his name's Wall Street Weightlifter. Have you heard of him? No. He's definitely worth a follow. He's awesome. Shout out to Wall Street Weightlifter. He's very, 
anti-optimal, um, but he optimizes, which is cool. <laughs> you know, like he, he shows his food prep. He like yeah. really prepares his food. He's a super strong guy, like, and moves well. And he has this air about him that I just absolutely love. Here we go. And this is a quote from Huberman. There's a different name for bro science. It's called ahead of its time science. And that's from Huberman. And, you know, I'll give the disclaimer like, oh, you know, this is just like bro science talk. But I'm sure if there were elongated studies on this thing, which would be something that would be very difficult to do, it would potentially prove what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, it's like this this feel that you get from something that it works or that it and how often do we need it to be backed by you know, this meta analysis. Yeah. Well, that's all retroactive. Like that's the problem I have with the evidence-based community is as much as I am an evidence-based person and, and how I look at what I can curate for content, like that is living 10 years in the past because that is what has, we have seen unfold. Whereas like, I'm sorry, a new generation of research is occurring now based upon what the bro science has already brought forth and brought awareness to. And now that's being researched and we're going to hear about that in five years when there's a new set of bro science coming out. So I feel like my concern with living only in the evidence-based community is like you're living only in what's been proven. You're not forecasting anything. You're not forward thinking. You're not being progressive. Like I want to reach forward. I want to see what else is there. Like I don't want to be a flat earther, man. I want to like, I want to go out and I want to be like, shoot, like what else is in the universe? And as long as I can articulate that in a way where there's a disclaimer that like, this is new territory, mm -hmm. take with it a grain of salt and do what you want to do with it. But let's also reinforce this with what we do already know. Maybe we can find some middle ground here. So the, the other side of that is if you think about guys like Liver King, um, a couple other guys, I, I just don't want to name, you know, um, they take that and they create a cult of personality yeah. around that. And then it gets out ahead of them, and now they become this, this thing, this cartoon character. Yeah, this caricature of yeah. of what they are, and then they created the dogma around something, and they've become exactly what they should, what they didn't really set out to be. Yeah, and so there's you know there's obviously the the opposite side of that. One, the other part of this um, that he had said was, open up uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. And you'll see numerous examples of old, quote unquote, bro science that's now touted as cutting edge research. It's pretty crazy. You know, um, if things work, they work. And your N of one is legitimate. It's just hard to disclaim that. It's hard to disclaim for sure. And man, you've got like bodybuilders and meatheads and those guys are like they are so in tune with their bodies. Say whatever you want about them mentally, why they're there, what they're, they're in tune with their bodies, man. And like, I remember when glycerol was being talked about, like in the bodybuilding community, like 20 years ago, have you noticed that glycerol is making a huge comeback? Huge comeback. It's like, go I to gorillamind.com yeah. slash calendar, get yourself some like, liquid glycerol. Glycerol is awesome. Shoot. I was talking about that stuff like seven years ago on my channel Really? for like, just for pumps. Like it's just, um, and just also, to, yeah. Cause it's, it's an amazing thing. But the point is, is like, that's just another example. And even like Dave Palumbo was like huge keto guy, like way back when, man, mm -hmm. way back before it was ever talked about like big time. 
it's like you see that stuff because these guys are willing to, they're willing to test on themselves and they're willing to risk because like a bodybuilder will eat six dog turds if it's going to get them jacked. They don't care. I don't want to get this wrong again because I, I talked about how uh, I talk about CrossFit a lot on my channel and I bring, I challenge myself to bring the most nuanced approach to it. I can absolutely tell you without a doubt the problem with CrossFit, but I can also without a doubt tell you why it's so fucking rad. And in that, I talked about a bodybuilder who trained, I think it was three or four times a week for one hour. And he was the, he was like, his physique was insane. And what he would do was specific, like strictly supersets. And I can almost guarantee you his heart rate was like zone two the entire time. Because there's really no other way, right? You just have to accrue. He was basically tricking himself into like being the most efficient version of himself that he could. And you almost can get that essentially with CrossFit. This is a little, you know, offshoot. You can get that a little bit with CrossFit, but the problem is the efficiency and the amount of work can actually get in the way of muscle contraction and control. Yeah. So what we did today actually was awesome. What you and I trained you know, you can pick two movements, isolate, control, work hard, um, and still keep your heart rate elevated and get a lot out of your training. And that's something that I want to get into. And I want to explain more to my channel personally that I think would be great. But I think this bodybuilder was Mike Menser. Do you know Mike Menser? Know. Yeah, not personally. I think, well, I think he yeah. passed away yeah, he did, yeah. uh, in 2001 or something like yeah. that. But I'm pretty sure he's the one who was doing hour long sessions three or four times a week. And back in those days, man, if you didn't train two hours a day, you know, seven days a week, you were a pussy, but this guy's physique said otherwise, which I think is fucking cool. I think, you know, for the amount of times that we talk shit about bodybuilding, because sometimes it deserves that because it can ruin people's perception of what health and fitness is those guys like you said are absolutely in tune with their bodies yeah man there's some you know some of those like some of those guys train insane like i have just the utmost respect for a lot of the, the bodybuilding community that can really train hard there's like a new generation of bodybuilders that are just like they just don't train hard it's weird it's weird to me because like i grew up reading those muscle magazines where i was like i like Jay Cutler is a, an example of someone that trained hard, dude. Like, you know, granted all the body dysmorphia stuff, all that stuff aside, like people that just work hard. And I, I actually think Jay Cutler is a pretty solid. Well, you would get, person. you can get rewarded for training and you can get rewarded for looking good in a picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it, it's twisted. Where, yeah. where now, where back then the only way you would get rewarded was being on stage and getting, well, you yeah. know, then putting in a muscle. There man. was no social media. There wasn't right. That. The only media there was, was a magazine. Yeah. And you, so those guys were like, I'm going to be fucking huge. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, I can look a certain way and angle a certain way and just be good looking. Like yeah, man, I cannot tell you how important it is to have a good looking face and yeah. to just be born with the genetics where like, you have a little bit of muscle mass, you're going to go the distance because in social media, that's what's going to get you the, the rewards. I've noticed a difference even in just like the muscle density of people then versus now. Like it's almost like there's just, it lacks the graininess that there used to be. And I know obviously, obviously there's, you know, drugs involved, but it's like, it almost shows the training intensity is different in a lot of the people these days. Now that's not to say everybody at all, by all means. 
but like I just like it's interesting. It's like I, I, I would be like I would be very I'd be very curious to see. I don't even know their names anymore. I don't know. Right. Oh, well, back then, like who so, who would like, like Dexter Jackson? So freaking dense, man. Like mm-hmm. Jay Cutler, Ronnie Coleman. There just there's a density to them, and it's wild. Like I would be curious to see what would happen if you had like a muscle cross sectional area, right? Like it's so wild. Well, if they were to measure up against the pros now, do you think it would be that much different, or are you just? Because like it, it's just it's still a different look. It's like it's just different, man. It's like it's like you look at like you know Dorian Yates and stuff like that, like that yeah. era. Like it's just I can't put my finger. I on mean, it. it's the classical era for me. That's like you know Mike Menser and and um, and those guys are like that's those guys are the coolest. Yeah, that's why I like Bumstead so much. Yeah, he's like, I got to meet him. He's a really nice dude. Dude, he follows me. Yeah, yeah. yeah I got pretty stoked when I saw he followed me on YouTube. I was like, that's awesome. I think he. He trains like a classic competitor. I mean, he train. He literally is in what's called the classic, but like he trains like I think like Arnold would probably train, or, yeah. or maybe something different. But I'm really good, close with his um, editor, who's a weightlifter. So he nice. does Olympic weightlifting, and so we've got really close, and that's how we were eventually introduced. Really nice guy. Really, really solid dude. That's awesome, man. Yeah, he's a cool guy, and he's one of those guys too that like he is afflicted with you know bodybuilding as a sport has its issues and he feels that and he doesn't and again i don't want to speak for him but this is like kind of an an oversight of what i heard i had heard what but it's like he just he just wants to be like a happy dude and like and relax he wants to be happy and relax and i feel like in a sport like bodybuilding it's very tense these guys feel very tense because their life is so intense yeah man i you know it's a lot of weird pressures on them, you know, and I, I guess I say that just, I try to be compassionate towards like what brought them there. Like, like why, like every bodybuilder that I've, well, I shouldn't say every, but almost every bodybuilder that I've ever met has a pretty deep story, you know, like, uh, and I haven't, I, I, I should probably disclaim that I haven't talked with more modern bodybuilders in like the last five, six years, but man, it's like, you talk to like a lot of them and why they get into it. It's kind of interesting. And it makes me have some compassion for like, Maybe it's not the same classical definition of fitness, right? It's not. I think it's its own category. So I don't think we should be blending bodybuilding and fitness. No. Like, yeah, definitely. So not. let's look at bodybuilding just as its own pillar and separate it from fitness for a second. Analyze just like, you know, you've got people that they know they have body dysmorphia. They're aware of it. And sometimes they embrace it. Um, it's just such a point where they just like, say, I'm going to lean into this. I know I have a twisted view on myself. And there's just some interesting depth in a lot of those people. And a lot of the bodybuilders that I've met have just been very, actually quite intelligent people that just have a story. And maybe they were misunderstood at some point in their yeah. lives. And God, that it is definitely palpable. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I try to, I really do try to like live with as much compassion as I can and try to yeah. understand. Um, but man, it, it can get, you know, it's not the bodybuilders that cause the problem. It's the brands that come in that try to monetize it, to put it in, to mix it with fitness, to sell it as fitness. Mm-hmm. And the bodybuilders just become the pawn in that game. Yeah. Yes. They're like the, it's almost like the, they're like the mutants that are like, they're just doing their thing. They're just, but then like, you've got this evil mad scientist. that's like, ha ha ha, I'm going to take. Yeah. I can make the money off yeah. of this. Yeah. They're getting it taken advantage of. Definitely. All right. Well, I think we're going to wrap up there. That's probably good. Yeah, wrap yeah. It up with mutants. Yeah. yeah. Wrap it up with the mutants. Uh, I appreciate you coming in, man. Uh, sure, it means bro. a lot. And, uh, 
If you guys haven't already, you need to check out Thomas DeLauer's YouTube channel and Instagram. Anything else I'm missing? No, that's really it. Yeah. Great YouTube channel. Honest to God. One of the, one of the best, if not the best, around nutrition and biochemistry. So check them out. And I'll see you guys in the next episode.